0: Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball so we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The Skipper, Kevin Kennedy,
1: and Rich Herrera. Welcome, everybody, to America's Best Baseball Podcast. I'm Rich Herrera. That, of course, is the Skipper, Kevin Kennedy. Kevin, what's your favorite time of year? Is it this year, this time right now where we're getting ready for that last stretch run through September? Is it spring training? Is it the All-Star break? I mean, there's so many different portions to a baseball season. Everyone seems like my favorite.
0: Yeah, for me, I've always loved spring training. Uh, that, that's uh, one of them, and then I've always loved uh, the playoffs. So there's the final two weeks of the season, the oh. stretch run. Um, those are my two favorite, and they're almost equal in a lot of ways because in spring training, um, usually you're gone for three months, you haven't seen the guys, and then you start getting revved up around uh, right after the first of the year, and I remember we always – in my day, we used to always go at Valentine's Day. That's that used to be our reporting date mm-hmm. <laughs> of you know, spring training, and because you
1: love baseball, so we're going to show up on Valentine's Day.
0: Yeah, you show up in Valentine's Day, and you know you see new guys that you maybe have traded for, get guys from the minor leagues that you haven't seen a whole lot of. They get their first chance, things like that. So those first three weeks of spring training are are one of the most relaxing parts for a manager in the big leagues, and then it starts getting real serious, and then the final 10 days are real tough because that's when you have to cut guys, and some guys don't have a job, maybe forever. Guys have to go back to the minor leagues, et cetera. You have to release certain guys, um, things like that. But uh, this time of year now, when we get to the sprint of uh, Major League Baseball, as you know, Rich, August 15th is, is where the marathon becomes a sprint. And we're we're past that August fifteenth point now. So, for example, the Dodgers have thirty one games to play, mm. and they're two games out of first place. Is all because both Arizona and Colorado lost. So the Dodgers were idle, and they're sitting there in Texas trying to win two, and they know they're in a uh, more favorable maybe position as far as schedule goes than the other two teams. So they're actually sitting pretty good, and then. And we'll see how it plays out for teams that haven't been through this before, like the Philadelphia Phillies, some of those young guys that haven't been through a pennant race. Gabe Kapler is first year doing this as a manager. Um, The Braves, of course, some of those guys haven't been through it before. We'll see how it comes out. And that's the fun time. All
1: right, so you talked about the marathon versus the the sprint, which I, I love to talk about. For those just joining our podcast for the very first time, and by the way, the listenership is going back up on this podcast again, so we thank all of our loyal listeners that have listened to Kevin over the years, whether we were working at Fox together, we were working down at Tampa together, Satellite Radio, other shows that we've done. I'll just remind everybody that we need you to help spread the word. So if you enjoy the podcast, great. If you love the podcast even better, but no matter what, tell all your friends about the podcast so we can continue to grow this podcast uh, and make it bigger and better. So with that being said, Kevin, uh, let's talk about the difference between the marathon and the sprint at the end of the season and the sense of urgency that comes along with that.
0: Well, I think right now when you've got um, what what went on, I'll just give you an example because there's three teams in the National League West, to start with them, that are really going to out – you know, whoever – plays the best baseball down a stretch against the other team for example arizona comes into la for four games starting on thursday and i get to work three of those friday saturday sunday with rick monday Um, that's going to be that could be your season right there Um, just like when boston played new york a few weeks ago when they swept them and pushed it out to a 10-game lead everybody thought the american league uh east was over But there was enough time, Rich, where if the Boston Red Sox went in a little slump and the Yankees played well, that they could catch up because they had maybe 50 games left. Well, now it's down to 29-30 for most teams. So it's really, really different. So every game becomes magnified, and and you use the word urgency. Um, You really have to manage with urgency. And I don't think last night, uh, for example, in the Rocky game, I was really surprised that there wasn't more urgency on the Rockies once they got a lead. In that eighth inning. In fact, I thought maybe even Buddy Black, uh, who's an excellent manager, but I thought he might even use Wade Davis because he's been throwing well for a four-out save. Consequently, he did not. And they ended up losing the game, giving up five runs with five walks in the bottom of the eighth inning after they went ahead on a grand slam by LeMahieu. That That's a big loss for them because they would have been tied for first. And now it's the D-backs who lost last night. Stratton threw a phenomenal game for the Giants. They couldn't even score against Stratton. And, you know, guys, it's really it's really getting tough right now. And, and the Dodgers are sitting in Texas. And you expect that the Dodgers was the sweep of San Diego last weekend that they should win these two games in, in Texas. They've got Walker Buehler going today. who's pitching phenomenal ball. who has got throws a ball 98 miles an hour. He's got great secondary stuff. He should put that lineup down, that young lineup. And, of course, Peltry's still there, but that's not enough to carry him. And you would expect the Dodgers to say, hey, we're going to win these two games, and they'll be looking at the scoreboard. So by the time Arizona comes to L.A., there could be a tie for first place. So that game becomes really magnified, this four-game weekend series, um, against the uh, Dodgers, or the D-backs and the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium. So that's what I'm talking about. And, Rich, just to go back to April, you've got time for guys to get untracked a little bit. You don't panic if you're – 10 games under the first two months, like the Dodgers were, for example. A lot of people were panicking around baseball. Analysts were writing them off nationally. You know that story. And I remember when the Dodgers went into Washington and swept them, I said, I think the Dodgers now, that's their turning point. They're going to come back, and I see them getting into first place and perhaps never looking back. So I look at the season as that sense of
1: urgency. You can't have your pedal to the metal uh, for all 162 games. And like you said, we get to Memorial Day and and you get to Labor Day. There are certain days that you get to in this game, the third, uh, maybe the quarter point uh, of the the beginning of the season. And you kind of figure out who you are by the All-Star break. You really should know who you are and what you need. And now at this point, this is where you start hitting that gas pedal if you want to get to the playoffs, and you start punching it as hard as you can because there's a sense of urgency that you can't grind through an entire 162 games. The other part of this I think is interesting is what happens when you're that team that's trying to get to the playoffs. Listen, it'll be electric at Dodger Stadium with the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers slugging it out. But what happens when you play teams that aren't going to slug it out, that aren't going anywhere. They know they're not going anywhere. When you're the Yankees and the Red Sox and you're f- looking at the scoreboards, you're playing the Baltimore Orioles or you're playing the Kansas City Royals or the Dodgers just playing the San Diego Padres. It's interesting that sometimes you will see those teams, uh, and they, they don't like, the, the, the word spoiler doesn't work, does it, Kevin? Nobody wants to be a spoiler, do they?
0: No, no, not at all. It's an, over, never, it's an overused no. term, I think. No, unfortunately, I've never managed a team at any level in my career where we were a spoiler. We had really good minor league years. The eight years I was with the Dodgers, we finished first place five times and second place three. And in the big leagues, we had two firsts, a second and a third. So I've never had a team where we've been out of it by, let's say, July. Never had a team in the big leagues, fortunately, knock on wood, that that never happened to me. So I don't know what that feeling is like, but I do know it as a player we had some teams that I was on that we were out of it, and that's not a fun feeling going to the ballpark every day.
1: So when I see these clubs that are out of it, I, I think they've got one good punch left in them. And if you get if they knock you down, they're going to get in that fight at just maybe out of spite because they're not going anywhere and they don't want anybody else to go anywhere. But if you punch them in the face and you knock them down, a lot of times you'll see them crumble and just go, oh, I'm getting ready to go play golf in the offseason. So it's interesting when you see these teams – that are on top of the division, play the bottom dwellers in the division and see how hard those guys fight in between those matchups with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks or the Dodgers and the Rockies or the, the Yankees and the Red Sox.
0: Well, uh, let's just take San Diego for an example. Um, I, I thought they would represent better last weekend against the Dodgers. I didn't think they were. Even though they did tie the game against Kenley Jansen. And we, we uh, need to talk about that. And the Kershaw game, I mean, I, I figured in extra innings the Dodgers were going to pull it out, and they did. But uh, the game where they had a 2 nothing lead on Sunday, last Sunday, um, and the kids pitching well, the lefty, uh, Erlin, was pitching. Robbie Erlin, yeah. Robbie Erlin was pitching, and he got through the lineup twice, and here he goes third time around the lineup. I thought Andy Green, once he got in trouble with the 2 nothing lead, he walks, or he gives up a base hit to Ryu, the pitcher, right? He's got two outs in the fourth, in the fifth inning. 2-0 Padre lead. I thought because the Padres and the Dodgers historically have had a decent rivalry uh, from a standpoint that the Padres love to knock the Dodgers off, I thought that Andy Green would manage with more urgency in the fifth inning. And consequently, he didn't. He let Erland face all the big guys in the Dodger lineup, and Turner ends up hitting a two-run double, and Machado ends up hitting a home run. He did have the bullpen up, but by the time he brought the bullpen in, it was 4-2 to two Dodgers. They scored four runs with two outs. And they ended up blowing that game out wide open. I thought he would manage with more urgency. Instead of saying, I want Erlin to get the win, I thought he would say, You know what? You're not pitching well. You've hit the wall. And uh, I've got to. Bring- I mean, I think it was five or six straight Dodgers, uh, or seven, actually, even when the bullpen came in, that uh, the Dodgers batted around that inning with two outs in that fifth inning. And I thought they didn't represent as, as strongly as I thought they would against the Dodgers. So the Dodgers consequently swept them. And you know you 're looking at that Colorado's going to go in there soon uh, and then after the angels and play them, and we 'll see what happens you know it's uh, they 're supposed to go in there and, and beat them as well, but the you know every time I look at the Padres play the the arizona or or sandy or Colorado, they seem to uh win a game or two <laughs> so well and that 's why I, I said
1: because i 've been around a lot listen i've broadcast for more losing ball clubs than anybody else I know. Uh, was in Oakland after they traded McGuire, Was in San Francisco. Was in Tampa Bay for the Devil Rays. I always thought if I give you a little bit of life, it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a boxing match. If I give you a little bit of life and I let you hang around long enough, you're gonna feel like you can win. But if I push you down, knock you down early, you more than likely you're gonna roll over and and just uh, fight for another day.
0: Yeah, and I think what I saw in that series was that um, even though they did battle back against Kershaw, which is a credit to them. Um, and they made it a 4-3 to three game, and then Kershaw went eight innings, and then Jansen had the ball with a one-run lead, and Austin Hedges hit a, hit a bomb on a, on a high cutter, and they tied it. I just thought the game wasn't as close as what the score indicated. It, let's just put it that way. But I, I just thought some of the guys were playing for themselves, if you know what I mean. I mean, Hosmer is not the same guy at all. He's hitting 250. I, he looks like he's trying to hit a home run every swing. They're not looking like they're trying to drive the run in or execute. I mean – uh, Hunter Renfro hits a line drive, and Will Mar- Myers it would have been a base hit to tie the game. I think on the uh, uh, another game the day before the Kershaw game, and that would have tied the game. Oh no, that was the same game. Excuse me, uh, and they might have won that game with the Hudges home run. That might have they might have won five to four. But uh, the base hit that, that Renfro got it would have been a clean base hit because the shortstop was way over in the hole, and Will Myers tries to beat the ball. I mean, you got to let the ball go by and then run. He would have scored anyway as far as that ball was hit. It might have went all the way to the wall and left center field at Dodger Stadium. Things like that. And Andy Green did address that. He said, we've got to clean some things up. Well, those are the types of things why you're 30 games under 500 year after year after year. When is it going to be cleaned up? I've heard every manager that's managed there say, well, we're going to clean these things up. Or They're young guys. They're not young anymore. How does Renf- that happen? Renf- well, 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 Will, Will Myers is not young. And, and, and Hosmer's not young. And Renfro's not young anymore. They've been prospects forever. Couple of those guys, you know, and it's it's time that they they play uh, at, a, at, a, at a better level than what they're playing.
1: Well, what what happens there? Because I hear that all the time from managers, especially from losing ball clubs. Got to clean that up. Got to clean that up. How was it? How did it get to the, be that point in the first place?
0: Rich, I I don't know. It's really hard for me because fortunately I was with a winning organization as a minor league manager and never had um, saw that type of play time after time, especially this late into the season. I don't know if guys aren't paying attention or if guys are thinking about their own numbers because they're so far down in the, in the standings that they just, they're just they looking for their own numbers. I don't really know. It's hard for me to answer that because I always demanded execution-type baseball, situational baseball. I, I, I would not, even in Texas, when we had a tough time in 93 there, we were 10 games under at one point, I had, a, I had the big league guys work out on an off day in June, and technically by MLB standards. <laughs> you were breaking and the, rules. And the CBA, yeah. you can't At that time, you couldn't play more than 20 games in a row. And, and so basically I told the guys on the plane as we landed, we had a 2-8 and eight road trip, uh, uh, and I said, hey, we're going to work out tomorrow. It's optional, but I expect everybody to be there. I know you guys by rules don't have to be there, but we'll see who wants to win and who wants to just uh, pad their own numbers. So did everybody be- show up? Everybody showed up, and from that point on, I remember the date. It was July to June 25th of that year, 1993. We went from 10-under to, to uh, 20 games over uh, at, at that point in time, and we finished in uh, in second place. And then it was then the old American League West. would had six teams, so um, that was a turning point, and we finished, we went 20 games over from that point on, and we did situational games. Uh, in midseason, and I had one. Claude Osteen pitched to one team. I split the guys up into two teams, and I had Mickey Hatcher pitch to another. And we played situational games, and and all my home run hitters, I made them use the field and go the other way. But what I see with teams like the Padres and teams that don't win, um, I just see guys trying to go deep. I mean, I don't see you know in a lot well,
1: of this Nobody's embarrassed to strike out
0: anymore. No, not at all. And when I look at the Dodgers and guys like Justin Turner. I see maybe the best two-strike hitter in the National League. I mean, you, he fouls balls off, fouls balls off, and then, boom, you try to go in on him. You don't get the ball in. He turns on it. hits a, a two-run double to tie it. Uh, later in the game, they try to go in on him. They try to go in. He fouls some balls off. They throw him a cookie down the middle. And he hits it right back up the middle, rolls the base hit to center field. That's why the Dodgers are winning right now and playing two-strike much approach. better. Two-strike approach has been better. Bellinger's had a better two-strike approach. Um, a lot of the guys I've had, Peterson's had a better two-strike approach, and it's been contagious, and it's led by Justin Turner. So that's what you need to do if you're a team like San Diego or, or Kansas City right now or some of these teams that are going to lose 100 games. You still have to approach the game. The process has to be the right thing. That the right bingo. Process.
1: See, that's you know? what it is because I think we get we get caught up in two things that I think are bad for a team. Number one, everybody's so caught up in numbers that the numbers will will set you on a different path that, that doesn't help you win. I love the numbers as an analytic tool, but if you're worried about this number, that number, you get away from what you really need to do, and that's worry about the process. So the other part of it, I think, you see organizations that will be so hell-bent on winning, Kevin, win, 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 that yeah, absolutely, I can win, but do my guys know how to go through the process to do this correctly? And I see that when I see kids get to the big leagues now. Maybe I'm just feeling like I'm older, but I see kids that come up, and they're fundamentally flawed, and I'm thinking, well, how did this kid get promoted? Well, he won all the way through, and he he put up big sabermetric numbers, but nobody ever paid attention to the process, that he has a two-strike approach, that he keeps his hands inside the ball, that he uh, takes a good secondary lead. All those things are in the process, that if the process is pure, you might not win today, but eventually you will.
0: Yeah, exactly right. You have to think ahead. If you're Will Myers, a tie-and-run at second base in the eighth inning and Renfro hits a bullet right at you, um, you've got to get out of the way of that. You have time to get out of the way of that, uh, and he didn't. He tried to run and, and get the jump on the ball, and the ball hit him. It would have been a clean like single, probably, maybe even a double. The ball was just hit so hard. And, yeah, it's hit hard, but remember, he's at shortstop as a runner. And that, those are the types of things that cost your ball games. Consequently, the home run that Hedges hit only tied the game, and then the Dodgers went it next innings. I'll give you another example of process. Last night, I'm watching the Giants and the D-backs. Stratton really struggles early, like a lot of pitchers do, right? The, uh, pod, get, to the uh, get to him early, get
1: to him early, because if he gets yeah. locked in, you're
0: in trouble. Well, he's got a good sinker. There's no question. He changes speeds really well. He had pretty good command last night, but not in the first inning. So Peralta's up there with uh, a three and zero count. I think the first two guys got on three and zero count. And he swings at a three and zero pitch, and why? he ends up and he ends up making it out. And I'm thinking, when the guy hasn't thrown a strike yet, why are you swinging? Why? Are, why are you swinging? He what? ends up making it out, and they get out of that inning. And then and then let's go to the ninth inning. Okay, they're down two nothing. Peralta leads off. He's having a great year. F- fine, but Stratton's been on his game. Okay, now it's the bullpen, and, and Watson's there. Watson's had some trouble lately throwing strikes. So he Make goes him through. Through strikes. He goes. uh Three and zero, and then three and one on Peralta, and I'm thinking to myself, I would make him. I don't care if he's got 25 home runs or not. That run means nothing. He needs to get Goldsmith up there, being the tie and run. need base runners?
1: Not. I need base runners right now.
0: Thank you. What does he do? He throws at a three-one pitch that was in off the plate, gets tied up and rolls over. That's the first out. That was ball four. So Lavello doesn't put the take sign on make him take two and, and those are things and I'm not saying I'm am a genius I'm just saying I watch these games and I say here's one thing they could have really put more pressure on on the giants and what does goldsmith do he walks he takes ball four well it would have been runners at first and second nobody out
1: and that's a completely different ball game
0: the next guy they get another guy on it would have been bases loaded and they might have won that game strickland comes in and he walks a guy and then finally Ahmed, who had guys on, if he hits a home a double, he ties it. A home run, he wins it probably. He ends up flying out to right field. Sousa was the other one that walked. So Watson was just terribly wild. You know, he's been he used an awful lot. He was tired. He's a super pitcher. But even the announcers were saying, and I was listening to the D-back broadcast and watching it on, on TV, and they said uh, he's been really wild. You, you can get some uh, base on balls off of him right now. And sure enough, 3-0 and, one, three and oh on Peralta, he throws a strike. Just barely got a strike. And then three and one, he's swinging. Why are you letting him swing there? See, those are the types of things white teams end up, end up losing. And here's what I see right now. And I'm not saying this because I work for the Dodgers. It's not about that. This is totally unbiased. I'll say it about other teams that we're going to talk about in this podcast as well that I watch that are, that are battling. Seattle and some of the other teams and, and why Oakland's winning and Houston, why they're better now, et cetera. But watching the West like I do, here's why Arizona has a real chance to slip out of this thing with that bats like that. And if that's the process you're thinking about, you're, to me, you're not thinking about, you know what? I got to get on base. I got to take another pitch right here. Even if I get a line drive base hit, it doesn't. It it's fine. But I'm gonna make him throw two more. Str- I'm gonna make him throw three three strikes in a row. Okay. But he doesn't. Uh, he, does he does He does and he ends up getting himself out. All right. Point. I, I have
1: to ask a question here then. Because with the thirty we'll,
0: home run guy on deck. Paul Goldsmith, by the well,
1: way. We hear this all the time. Oh, you know, players get paid to drive in runs, hit home runs. That's where they get their big bucks. Agents are telling them to swing for the downs is whenever they get an opportunity to. Do you think that it's the rewards of, of the home runs at the end of the season that keep guys from playing smart baseball?
0: I I do. Yeah, I, I do. I see that today. There's no doubt about it. Um, uh, absolutely, I see. I see Dodger guys do it too. I've seen Kike uh, Hernandez with runner to second base, nobody out. A Move few him. Move him over. Uh, he's not. I see him trying to hit a two-run home run off a lefty. I don't even see an attempt to to go to right field. Lately, that's been better though. So I think that was has been addressed by Dave Roberts and his and his hitting coaches because they've been better the last month, and that's why they're playing better baseball. Yeah, Manny Machado's a big part of it, no question, but um their their process has been better their thought process has been more team oriented rather than individual oriented as a
1: man as a manager how do you how do you talk to that player address that player do you have one of the coaches go over like hey listen come on you, you know what you're supposed to do there
0: no i think it has to come from the manager i think i mean that's what i like 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 i said earlier in the podcast i said back in my day in texas when we were really struggling we had a really good offensive lineup what really Ticked me off on that road trip I talked about. We were in Baltimore and Arthur Rhodes had a start. It's when he was starting the lefty. Mm-hmm. Through 96. We loaded the bases in the first inning with nobody out and he proceeded to strike out the next three guys. Mm. A- and I could tell all three guys were trying to hit grand slams. And it really, and we ended up losing that game and it really upset me because that was a game we could have opened up and then that's a game we, we would have won. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But we let the pitcher get off the hook, then he got a little confidence going and all of a sudden. He was doing what Stratton was doing last night to the D-backs. All of a sudden, he got a breather. So, who I escaped the hook there. And ends up going eight innings, for crying out loud, of shutout ball. The at-bats were all the same. Everybody was trying to hit, you know, big swings. And, and they were chasing a lot of pitches. And consequently, they started pressing. What I saw was a team that was pressing offensively and has been pressing. And I think, you know, instead of them being three games up on the Dodgers, they lost a half a game and they're only two up on the Dodgers. And they both have two to play before they play each other four times. So that's why I lead up to this series on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's going to be really that, – that, that could be the season for the D-backs. Could be for the Dodgers too, but the Dodgers are on a roll right now. I mean, their lineup is deeper than any team in the National League West. There's no doubt.
1: Okay, I do want to address this. I said I was going to bring it up. Uh, Kenley Jansen giving up home runs since he's been back. Uh, mm-hmm. Another example. D-O-2.
0: Paul DeYoung with a fly ball, well hit to left center field, Taylor going back at
1: the wall, he looks up and it's gone, a home run. Paul DeYoung, a two-run home run, and the Cardinals lead it 3-1. to one. Jansen, who gave up two home runs on Monday night. Highlight courtesy of the Dodgers Radio blast. Network, Skip, Here what's tonight. going on with Kenley?
0: Well, it's interesting you ask that because yesterday I was on uh, our local channel here with the Dodger channel, and I was asked the same question, and and I'm going to give the same answer, and here it is. Uh, I I did some games in San Diego when Rick Monday took some time off during the All-Star break. Uh, I I joined the team uh, right after the break and um, and did the last two games uh, of that series, and I saw Kenley Jansen come in and do something I hadn't seen before. He was trying to throw a lot of high fastballs, like everybody's throwing these high fastballs to get chases today. Mm-hmm. But he was doing it. He has a two-seam fastball that he throws 97, 98. That's his two-seamer. He doesn't throw a four-seamer. Corey, he throws that two-seamer once in a while. When he, usually the lefties, when he wants to get them off the cutter in, he'll throw it. Remember Mariano Rivera used to do that? Right, just to keep him honest. Day? Just to keep him honest. And then he'll throw his slider, which is a good one. And, and nobody looks for that, and they end up chasing it usually. He's got a good one bottom falls out of it. But he started throwing re- recently this last, well, since that point in time about the la- latter part of the season here, post all-star break, he's been throwing a lot of high fastballs with two strikes, trying to get the swing and the miss. And I'm thinking to myself, why? In fact, I remember talking during the broadcast against the Padres, uh, Villanueva was up, it was a ninth inning and we're running around first base with two outs. And he was throwing a lot of these high fastballs and, and finally, Rick Honeycutt went out to the mound and I, I, I said to Charlie Steiner, I was working with I said, I'll bet that Rick is saying, just go to your cutter. Stay with your cutter. That's your money pitch. Stay with that. Anyway, he ends up throwing a 29 pitch save and gets filling a wave at a pop out to right field by throwing the cutter. But before that, he was throwing a lot of high fastballs and guys were just missing him. I mean, uh, they were very dangerous pitches and they were home run pitches. So a flat cutter is a home run pitch. So uh, let's just take the St. Louis series recently where the Cardinals swept the Dodgers, right?
1: Right, and you gave them some bombs.
0: Jed Jerko comes in. They're down one run. He pinch hits. He's in or in a double-switch situation, so he's leading off the top of the ninth. They're down, a, uh, or was it tied at the time? I think it was tied at the time. Yeah, it was tied at the time, and Kenley had, had come in. Was, he was already up and. uh they uh, tied it. the O'Neill hit a home run to tie it off of Scott Alexander in the eighth inning. So in the now in the ninth inning, tie game, and Kenley's you know job is to put a zero up there, and let the Dodger offense try to win it in the bottom of the ninth. Well, what he does, he throws a high cutter to Jerko by intent, not not the normal cutter down in a way to you know get him to hit it off the end of the bat, and maybe roll it over to shortstop. Throws him a high cutter. It didn't cut much. And what it did, when it did break, it goes right over the heart of the plate. It, straight, it comes in a little bit off the inside corner, and then it goes over the heart of the plate. And then Jerker was a high ball hitter. Loves that pitch anyway. Hits a home run to left field. Did the same thing to Carpenter. He threw one to Carpenter and ends up rolling it right down the middle, cut right into his swing. It was In fact, it was middle, middle, as everybody was saying, and it was. It was exactly middle, middle of the zone. Home run to left center field. Loses it three to one. Next time he came out, basically same thing. And a lot of them, if you're watching Kenley watch lately, it's been the high fastball. You'll see Grandal set up high, trying to get the high cutter for a swing and a miss. Well, you never saw Mario Rivera throw a high cutter. You threw, never you saw, you saw never. him throw a cutter in on the hands of lefties or away to righties to get him off the end of the bat. You never saw him try to go up and out over the plate just to get a swing and a miss. That's not what, what the cutter was designed for consequently i've said this for every year that i've done broadcasting and seen the cutter i said the cutter is a very flat pitch yeah if it's got late movement and it's in on the hands of a lefty it's a dynamite pitch you know Mario alvera uh will be in the hall of fame for it uh but if it's not um and it's not moving a lot it becomes a flat cutter becomes a home run pitch or a fly ball pitch and that's that's what's been happening lately so uh, i'm anxious to see in um, tonight's ball game against Texas, if if Kenley starts throwing uh, more cutters like he normally does, just down and away to righties, or, or, it's natural the hands pitch. It's natural cutter. To, it's natural cutter. Yes, but everybody wants to go north and south today, and not everybody is used to going up in the zone. Kenley's never been a guy that throws a lot of pitches up in the zone. Never above the above the hands. But um, I've noticed it with Grandall catch because Grandall will call that with most pitchers, and then he'll a he'll, lot. Uh,
1: he'll kind of stand up a little bit.
0: He'll stand up a little bit, and the hitters can feel that when you do that, too. So you got to be careful, that's all.
1: Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Boston
0: Red Sox. Pitch is swung on, grounded toward the middle, but the second baseman on the left side as it throws low, scooped by Bowers. Ball game is over, and the Red Sox are swept by the Tampa Bay Rays. They're swept in a series for the first time this year as they fall in the finale 9-1. to Rays have won eight straight. Red Sox have dropped three in a row with six of eight, and as of right now, their lead has been cut to six and a half games over the Yankees in the AL East. The Red Sox outscored twenty-four to five. In this highlight series.
1: courtesy of the Boston Red Sox radio network, skip they lose three games in a row to the Tampa Bay Rays. They're four and six over the last ten days. After that sweep, and people in Boston who thought the whole thing was over and done with after sweeping the Yankees a couple weeks ago, are now hitting the panic button. What about you?
0: Yeah, well, the division is really up for grabs. I mean, like I said, there's 31 games left, and they're, what, about six games out? Five and a half games out or so? Five to six games out? So that's doable. You can make that up because there's enough time left. Now, if you were still 10 games out with 30 to play, I think it would be really difficult to do. But when you're five or six games out, with 31 to play or so, that's doable. And I can remember when we were in first place in Boston back in my day in 95, and we had an eight-game lead, and all of a sudden it got down to five games in the month of September. I remember my guys gripping. We ended up, All of a sudden we lost five in a row. We had never lost more than three in a row all year. And then all of a sudden in September we lost five in a row. And I, I knew it was because my guys were gripping. They weren't the same guys. They weren't having the same at-bats. The plot process was different like I, we were talking about earlier with you and um my guys were pressing there was no doubt about it and finally i had to make a change i put a, a dwayne hosey i remember leading him off and um uh, people can look him up they no i him. He ended up going to japan and hitting like 30 home runs a year there but he ends up getting a lead off home run. what i'm saying is we, we picked him up on a rule five draft from atlanta so i decided to lead him off and play center just to mix it up because he was really hungry you know he was a good hitter fast could really fly had some power not a big guy but had power he was kind of like a size of Andrew McCutcheon type player, uh, but a switch hitter. And he hits a home run to lead off the game. And I could just feel the bench and see the guys on the bench. Everybody exhaled. Clemens was uh, pitching that night. And we ended up winning that game. And that really kind of stopped our losing streak of five games and created a winning streak. And then after that, we never looked back. But in September, we did grip for a while there. And that's what Boston's going through right now because they're seen the scoreboard. And they know it's not over yet. Yankees went
1: eight and two in the hey, last ten days, and and they're playing hey, well.
0: Hey, and they, listen, and you start looking at strength of schedule too, and you go, you know what? Uh, they're they're playing really well right now. They're they're going to have the rookie of the year in Andujar and Gleyber Torres hit a home run last night, and their pitching is is going well. Their bullpen's fantastic. Um, you know they could go. I'm not saying they could do what Colorado did years ago when they went to the World Series. Uh, back in oh four when they went to the World Series, 0-4. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, they won twenty one out of their final twenty two games. But you're always cognizant that they could go on an eighteen and two run or a seven and, 17 it's and three and run. The Red Sox and the Yankees. So you know yeah. what that means. Anything can happen. Yeah, and if the Red Sox play 500 ball, look what happened to Terry Francona. I think it was his final year. Remember the beer and chicken incident? Uh, oh, I was month? there,
1: September 28th. Evan Longoria hit that big home run.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and Tampa Bay uh, uh, ends up you know, uh, knocking them knocking them down, knocking them out. And uh, the Red Sox are supposed to win the division going away. They had a terrible September, and they got knocked out. So that's that's what you look back at, and that's what the fans in Boston always look back at. Now, they've won three championships since the 86 Year dry run, uh, back back in my day they hadn't won yet in eighty six years. So if
1: you're a longtime Red Sox fan, you have that. You it. know that's yeah. in the back of your mind.
0: You're always thinking about Bucky Dent. That's always passed on from generation to generation. You're always thinking about those those terrible second halves the Red Sox have had. So you're hoping this great team uh, doesn't fold. Now they're not going to if the Yankees win the division. The Red Sox are not going to lose so much that they'll be knocked out of a wild-card spot. But like we've said all year on this podcast, is that that's, that's, there's too many good teams in the, that are going to be in the playoffs in the American League. And you don't want to play one of those wild-card teams just in one game to try to, you know, to try to, to play. To earn a, it, yeah. To earn it, exactly. Um, what advice so. would
1: you give Joey, uh, Joey Cora?
0: Alex Cora? Or know? Alex Cora, yeah. Uh, be himself. Don't change. Don't panic. Don't start doing something you haven't done. If you haven't been a yeller and a screamer, don't all of a sudden start yelling and screaming in the clubhouse. Uh, You just got to play under control. If you do believe in meetings, um, be under control in your meeting and just explain the process to the guys and just say, hey, you know, um, this is about playing our game and about relaxing and not about pressing. It's not about looking at the scoreboard. You guys take care of yourself. I'll worry about the scoreboard. Those types of things, you know, you take the take the pressure off the guys. That's what I tried to do when I was in Boston. Uh, we had the lead, and sometimes when you're being chased, like the Yankee, uh, like the Yankees are chasing the Red Sox now, you tend to look at that scoreboard because everybody's telling you, "Oh, you've got this division one, I. I can't wait to see you guys." In the I got play my out. playoff tickets ordered, guys. Just, yeah, just go all the way through it. You guys are going to be in the World Series. It, it actually becomes a lot of pressure on guys because now the expectations. Uh, are there? They've they've had the best team perhaps on record as far as their overall record in Red Sox history, and everybody's talking about that. Everybody in Boston's talking about that. Boston's a very small town. I mean, every time you're walking around going to dinner, I can remember guy people on the street, they know who Alex Cora is. Believe me, they they know. I mean, in L. A., it's a little bit different. It's a Hollywood town. They're not so worried if they see Yasiel Puig or. Dave Roberts and all that. They don't bother these guys like they do in, Bo- in Boston. It's, Bo- it's Red Sox Nation. If they see a Red Sox out and about walking to dinner <laughs> or something, uh, they're all over them. I mean, they're following them. I mean, it's, right. it's, that's, that's how it is there. So you are it in Boston. So uh, Alex knows that because he played there, and that, that's obviously helped him. So he gets it. He understands it. I think that's the advantage of having been there before for him. But he's never managed before in the big leagues, and he's never managed in September in a pennant race. So you just got to be make sure that you're still yourself and you're not, you're not panicking in your own right. Don't let the players see that, even if you feel it. Joe Torre told me once, I, I said, man, you're so calm in these playoff games and in these World Series and these pennant races. How do you do it? He goes, Kevin, what people don't see, they see me on the bench. They see me walking out to the mound all calm and cool. What they don't see or feel are all the butterflies I feel going up and down my stomach every night. Mm. I said, oh, "Okay," and he goes, "I have Don Zimmer to lean on too. That helped me an awful lot." <laughs> That's what he said too. I was just yeah. thinking. I was just thinking of Zim at that point.
1: You know, it's yeah. it, it's interesting. It's interesting when you when when I hear you talk about conversations with Joe Torre, conversations with um, uh, Bruce Bochy, or the managers yeah. that you've talked to or that we've talked to yeah. over the years. Is there like a, a mutual admiration society? Is there a is there a fraternity that only you and someone who sat in the manager's office can commiserate with?
0: I, I really believe that, yes. I mean, it's something that Sandy Koufax told me once. He said, nobody can tell me what it's like to pitch Game 7 in the World Series. No pitching coach, nobody, unless they've done it before. Mm. And I never forgot that. In fact, I told Kurt Schilling that you know years ago when they went to the World Series and they won it, and, and he said he was going to pull a, a Joe Namath. And if uh, they had won Game 6, and he said, we're going to win Game 7, and they did back in one against the Yankees. They came back and won the final two in, uh, in Arizona. And it's what it reminded me of. I said, man, that's that's really an interesting statement because Koufax is, was not an arrogant guy, is not an arrogant guy. But for him to say that to me one time privately, we were talking about you know, pitching in the playoffs, pitching in the World Series. And, and he wasn't one to say, if you haven't done it before anywhere at any level, um, you don't know what it feels like, but he was talking about Game 7 of the World Series. He said, if you haven't started a Game 7 of the World Series, uh, you can't tell me what I feel like or what it's going to feel like. You have to experience it. And I thought that was a really good point. And so for me, if you haven't managed in Boston in the playoffs or managed a, a pennant-winning team or if you haven't managed at the big league level and gone through what we're all talking about today, Rich, um, then it's really hard for somebody else that, that hasn't been there before. And it's no disrespect that somebody no. that hasn't been there before. It's just that it is a fraternity. And there's very few of us that have done this. I mean, there's only 30 of these jobs every year. Uh,
1: I was and, thinking about this the other day because, so, I, I, I didn't get to manage in the big leagues. I didn't coach in the NFL. I didn't coach in, uh, in college football. But I am a fly on the wall because I've experienced so many of these things just being there observing and keeping my mouth shut. Right. Um, yeah. I've observed you. I've observed Joe Madden. I've observed Dusty Baker, Lou Piniella. Uh, I do college football working as a sideline reporter. I've stood there and got the life lessons that coaches will pass along. Be early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, I left without you. Or get your head out of your you-know-what. Right. Um, Get your head where your you-know-what is, is, uh, is one of the coachisms that I get. So I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough. And I think I hope folks in this podcast get it that you get to be that fly on the wall, having those experiences that we don't get to know what it's like to be Kevin Kennedy. And I can't grow a mustache as as well as you. (laughs) But I I get about as close as I can by absorbing through osmosis all these moments that I hope will help folks enjoy the game even more.
0: Well, Rich, that's why I felt it was really important to manage in the minor leagues. And I really respect guys that have managed in the minor leagues, like guys... um, like Stitker and the guys that are managing, the uh, guys like Bannister of Texas that manage about, uh, so long. In, 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 Kansas, me, in St. Louis. St. Louis, the same thing. The guy's been around forever. He's done so many different things in the game. And, and look the, why they're, how they're responding. Why? Because he doesn't panic. Joe Madden, the guy, the guy doesn't bat an eye. I mean, he doesn't bat an eye in, in St. Louis. I just I saw it. I and mean, even when it looks like they're not going to come back and win, he's he's. Convicted in his ways that hey this is the right move what I'm going to do here um, he manages with uh, with authority but he doesn't have this iron fist like you got to do it and he doesn't slam the you know clipboard <laughs> down and things like that like some, some managers did over time and I I said, man this is really interesting but I think I think managing a lot of games at a lot of different levels helps when you're in the big leagues for the first time doing it, because I don't know, I haven't watched Gabe Kapler lately, but I know they haven't been having a lot of success lately. I don't know if he's changing and, and if there's anything behind the scenes where there's a little bit of uh, change in his personality. or not, not, I won't say panic because I don't think Gabe's that type of guy, but you never know what a guy's doing differently behind the scenes because we're not in the dugout or in the clubhouse unless you're covering have, the team. Have
1: you ever seen that movie uh, U571? No, it's I a, it's a, it's a movie about a submarine commander in World War II. They they were going out to capture the Enigma machine, which was the Nazi uh, code uh, machine, and they were going out trying to to find one. And in the movie, uh, the captain of the submarine dies, and the second in command takes over. Oh wow! And it's a it's a it's a it's a big big point in the movie. And they look at him, and he go, and they go, "What do we do?" And he goes. I have no idea. Oh, my goodness. And, well, they're, they're, it, and then the, the you, know, in, it, you know, you know how these movies work. There's always that, that older uh, non-commissioned officer, sergeant, or the guy that, you know, is the captain of the boat that, that's not in command, but he's that backbone for the captain. And he grabs, he pulls him aside, grabs him, and goes, I don't care what's going on. I don't care whether you know, whether you don't know, but you never say it in front of those kids because those kids are putting their lives in your hands. And if you don't know, how in the world are they supposed to know? So I don't care what you're feeling in your gut right now. Shut your damn mouth and do your job.
0: That's so true. That's exactly right. That's why I felt it was so important to get a lot of games in in the minors. You know, I managed, I don't know, 1,500 altogether, something like that, between – uh, baseball over here, and then baseball and winter ball for four years, and I even counted instruction league, and all these games counted for managing because you're, you're managing situations. That's why I'm really big on situational baseball. That was my main point. Which goes back to the uh, beginning of our podcast. Yeah, in the beginning. That's really, that's really what baseball is because the score and the inning and the count dictate everything, how you run a game. There's you, no, run, you run it differently no... in the first inning than you do the ninth. There's no formula. Yeah, I used to feel like early in the season, the first three innings were, were yours, meaning the teams, the players. Let them have their at-bats. The middle innings, the middle three were ours, and the final three were mine. I used to say the final nine outs, guys, are mine. So check your egos at the door because if you're blowing it uh, in the seventh inning, that inning is not yours. If you're not doing the job and that's your normal role, believe me, there's going to be somebody else behind you. Wow. And so I, I kind of used that theory. It was something I haven't heard that anybody else say that, but that was my theory. You I like know, that. Just, I'm going to steal yeah, that. Yeah, the first three innings were yours. All right, let the guys – don't. there's no panic there. Let the guys have their at-bats, see how they're, they're going, see how they're adapting. And that's kind of what Lavello, I think, did yesterday with Peralta. He didn't say anything when Peralta swung at, swung at the pitch. But I'm, I'm thinking, you down to the final month, every at-bat is so important. Scoring first is so important in the final month of the season. And I'm thinking the Giants want to knock everybody off because they still think, I heard Bochy say, we still think we have a chance. And yeah. they do. They're only seven games out. Why Why can't they? I mean, yeah, they, they don't have a lot of people there, and they're not having great years. But, um, hey, they've got some good talent. Some young guys have coming up and doing the job, and, and why can't they? They still have this 30 games to play, and they're going to try to run the table. With so- a lot of games against the West. Yeah, a lot of games against the West, so why not? And, and they're not going to be an easy team to beat. They've got Bumgarner going tonight. And what if Bumgarner has a Bumgarner game and he gets two runs? They might win 2 nothing again. So point is, you've got to take your opportunities when they come, and the D-backs did not take advantage of that because one of their guys swung at a 3-0 pitch, and yeah, he's a big guy, but he chased a ball and ends up, ends up making an out, and uh, consequently they weren't playing really good situational baseball in my mind both in the first inning and the ninth inning. And I think it, I think part of it cost them, cost them scoring at least in that game. So that's why I was really big on that, that the thought process really has to be there, guys. you got to check your egos at the door in September, the final 30 games. You can't – it's not about, hey, I've got 19 home runs. i got to hit that 20th. But it's hard to say that today because guys get paid to hit 20 home runs, you know. And guys know that. Hey, I'm going to arbitration this year. If I hit 20 home runs, I'm going to make – several million more, you know, just put my numbers up against anybody that has 20 home runs or 25 home runs. So I know that's harder today, maybe than even in my day in some regards, but still you got to remember, even in my day, it was about numbers because those guys are getting paid. Juan Gonzalez, you know, hits 46 home runs. He becomes the highest paid player in the game. So it still about was about numbers then. And, and they knew that, but um, now you're seeing utility guys. Get, they're going to make some money if they hit 20, <laughs> 20 home runs. So, I see guys taking swings to hit their 20th home run, not to get a guy over to third base. Yep, that's, what I'm, exactly. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know,
1: we always name these episodes uh, here on America's Best Baseball Podcast, and we, we always put something next to an episode, uh, 15, 16, 17. This is what I think I'm going to call uh, Skipper Gives Us a Ph.D. Level uh, Course <laughs> in Baseball.
0: Well, thank you, Rich. I appreciate. it. I, I love talking about it because it's not. I don't get a chance to on other shows that I do because it's what's pertinent is the game. The game is more important than, than what my philosophy is personally because uh, the players dictate. You know, when you're actually broadcasting a game, yeah, you know, it's about what's going on in that game. But sometimes with Rick Monday, I, we get to share philosophies about certain things. Oh, I like it,
1: listening to you and Rick.
0: But not in depth like this, you know, where I can really break it down, and you ask me those questions because it's not something I think about um, unless you ask me the question. And it's very, it's very interesting when you do ask me that because it, it, it I can always, you know, jog my memory and go, all right, I remember wh- why we changed the process because in in jo- June of. 25th of 1993, we were 10 games under. I remember we were 20 games of, over after having an uh, off-day workout that we weren't supposed to have, you know, that type of thing.
1: I love it. I've never heard that story of the of the 10-plus years we've been around each other uh, doing See, this and the 20 years since I've uh, first laid eyes, on you never heard that, so I like it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I don't tell that very much because it doesn't become pertinent to any conversation unless we're talking about something like this, you know. Um, when I see guys not having the right approach and not in the right frame mm-hmm. of mind, that that really bothers me around Major League Baseball because I can tell the difference between a guy that's trying to make an attempt to, to get a guy over or get a guy in versus I'm trying to get a base hit and get a guy in. There's a difference. And, folks, you know, if
1: Kevin and I are watching the same game, I'll start texting it. wait a minute, Skip, I didn't like the way that looked. And it goes on yeah. to like a 20-minute text uh, back and forth because we're talking about the fundamentals of what they did wrong and they did right. So, you know, we, we, we talk about this stuff in, in real life as well.
0: Well, I mean, I saw it with Colorado last night. They, they had chances against the Angels earlier to open the game up, but I saw bases loaded nobody out. And they, they ended up uh, not scoring, not opening the game up. Wolters hit a home run. I think they got one run out of it, a fly ball. But the at-bats were more about, I'm going to hit a double and clear the bases rather than, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna get a man over, get him in. I'm gonna, we're and gonna we're going to win. We're going to score two runs here and end up having a three-run inning rather than a two-run inning. That becomes a big point Yep. in the game. I mean, they were fortunate. LeMay who hit a hanging curveball from Jim Johnson for a grand slam, but then they can't go back and their pitching can't hold it. And I look at the faces of pitchers when they come in in the eighth inning with a two-run lead, and I know Adovino's had a phenomenal year, but he looked like he was just, um, uh, you know, uh, was afraid to throw a strike. Yeah, there's,
1: uh, there's a bunch of other places I'd rather be because this ain't one of them.
0: Yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, when you say that, guys will get mad and say, I wasn't afraid. But then when they really – Talk to him later on and say, their, you know what? You
1: can see their body language. I
0: was. I didn't want to throw Trout a strike. Consequently, I walked him, and now the tying run comes up. And now Otani, who's already you know hit a home run, he's hit five home runs this past nine games or so. Uh-oh, if I make a mistake here, he hits a home run. Well, ends confidence. Up he, the game is about, about up, confidence, folks. He ends up getting on base or walking or whatever. Yeah. So now you really put yourself in a hole. Then you've got your reliever. Oh, that has to come in with the bases loaded and two outs because finally – he couldn't get uh, cowered out, for crying out loud. He was hitting a buck 50 with, a, with two on and, mm-hmm. and two out and a one-run lead. He ends up walking him. So he forces Bud Black to have to make a move he didn't want to, and, oh, can't throw a strike. And he ends up walking in a, a run. Now you're and, really and, in that, trouble. And now you're tied, and now you've got to face Eric Young, and he goes three and two on him. Oh, did. And Eric Young has not been swinging well, and he hits a little blooper to center and boom, the Angels come back and score five and win the game. Those are wins you look back on and say, we lost a playoff spot because of that game. That's a game we have to win, and, and it, it is. It's, it's a game you have to win. That's why I thought Buddy Black, maybe Buddy goes to Wade Davis rather than, oh, get Wade Davis up there because you, you win or lose a game in the eighth inning. The ninth inning might be your easiest inning. We've in always that said f- that. We've always said that. that the, game. The, yeah. They
1: might get all the money, but that's not necessarily the toughest inning to get through.
0: That's why Dave Roberts last year used Kenley Jansen a lot uh, in the, in the eighth inning to get that win because he he knew that that inning with key hitters were up there with men on base he was the right guy to face those guys. Now this year it's been a different story for a lot of different reasons we won't get into, maybe next podcast. But um, he hasn't used him in the eighth inning as much for the AFib and a lot of other reasons too. I don't want to wear him out. He, you know velocity's been down a little bit, et cetera. But um, Point being, I thought last night because Davis had thrown better that why not for a four out save? You got to have this game. I mean, LeMay, who just hit a grand slam to put you up, you were down a couple of runs, looked like it was going to be over, and boom, the Angels walk, the bases loaded in the bottom of the eighth. Finally, uh, Johnson comes in, you get a grand slam. Now you're up seven to five. You know the D backs had already lost or were losing. Right. If you this win missed them, you're in first place. You're in first place, and instead of bringing in Davis, it's oh. Who came over from Toronto and O ends up giving it up? So mm. that's those are games I look at and I go, man,
1: that's a get- difference. Between, that's the difference between playing in the wild card and waiting to see who you are going to play and having home field advantage in the uh, divisional series.
0: And it's a difference between managing with urgency and then managing the nor- way you normally would, too. Well, I, I,
1: like, think- I like that. The, the first third for you guys, middle third for us, last third of mine, because that reminds me of what you always taught me about what Bruce Bochy said, the difference between managing the World Series with the San Diego Padres and managing with the Giants was a sense of urgency, the urgency that Absolutely. he had because he had
0: been there before. I'll, I'll, I- I'll
1: remember that to the day I die.
0: Absolutely right. And you have to do that in September when you're, you know, battling for first place and uh, three teams are within two games of each other. If you got an eight game lead and you don't want to burn out Wade Davis, that's a little bit different with 30 to play. But rather than having 30 to play and you've got no lead, you're one game out of first place and you want to get there because if they won that game last night and then they go to San Diego afterwards, perhaps they never look back. Right, and they, and they don't have to look at the scoreboard anymore. Perhaps I mean that was a huge, huge game last night. I thought for them, and I thought for the Dodgers sitting in Texas watching these two games and knowing that both teams lost. Oof. they just they picked they picked up two and a half games in three days. Yeah, that, they were four and a half out for. I, oh, I was re- I was all ready
1: for the podcast to go. What in the world's going on? But they. They're right Uh, back there. It's going to be a fun race. All right, Skip, that's going to do it for the podcast for this week. Don't forget you can find Kevin, Kevin Kennedy, MLB, on Twitter. I am RBI Rich. Hey, keep tweeting to us. I like when you guys tweet to us. That way we can answer some of these questions uh, on the air as well. So don't forget Kevin Kennedy, MLB, uh, RBI Rich. And, again, I'm just reminding you, it's a free podcast. Tell your friends about it so we can spread the word and we can grow this thing into being America's best baseball podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich.